You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Lakers for Thursday. Draft day, Andy. It is here Want to remind everybody, they can join uh, NBA Draft Goat Chad Ford, Locked on NBA Draft host Rafael Barlow, and Locked on NBA host John Corrales live this year covering the NBA Draft. It's Locked on NBA Draft 2021 brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Experts like us, Andy. Yes. Follow Locked on NBA on YouTube today. Watch our live coverage on uh, today, Thursday at uh, 4 p.m. Pacific. That's when it starts. Um, of course, Andy, we are going to get everybody ready for the draft as best we can. Um, the Lakers with the 22nd pick in tonight's draft. And nobody, nobody, I say, can help us do that better when it comes to the Lakers and the draft than Mike Garcia. You know him as Canyon Driver, uh, at Canyon Driver on uh, Twitter. You can find his work on Substack, lakersdraft.substack.com. The guy just knows the draft backwards and forward, and more importantly, knows the Lakers backwards and forwards. Mike, thanks so much for coming on. We know it's a super busy time. We appreciate it. All right, thank you guys for having me. There's two guys that I want to focus in on in terms of, because we what we want to do is take a look at a lot of the guys who've been linked in particular to the Lakers and a lot of these mock drafts. And the first one I want to start with is actually Jared Butler, because He's actually the consensus guy that when I look at the most, uh, when I look at mock drafts, he's the one that comes up the most for the Lakers at 22. Plus, in the locked on ultimate draft um, mock draft, we chose Jared Butler. So it seems like we are in sync with a lot of people who understand this stuff a hell of a lot better than we do. But what say you, Mike Garcia? Would Jared Butler. <sighs> at 22 be a good fit for the Lakers. I would love to see Jared Butler wear a yes! uniform. Yes! He's amazing. He's such a good shooter. Um they won the Butler won the national championship this year, but what makes it work for the Lakers specifically is this year he works more in an off-ball role next to a primary initiator and he just shot so well. I think he was 52% catch and shoot situations off of movement, off of dribble, can run, pick, and roll, and just does just enough defensively to really keep himself on the floor. How, you, how, ready, how, how ready is he to play? Because, I mean, I, and, and, I, and I think you can apply this question to a lot of the guys that you would see at 22 is, you know, how ready are they to play? Because it is very difficult to find somebody in the bottom third who can step in and be a member of, uh, you know, a regular rotation guy on a team with championship aspirations. So in Butler's case, I've actually been watching him for the past couple of years. And during the prior year, he was more of an on-ball creator. Mm -hmm. And now that he shifted into this role, I think it says a lot about his uh, ability to adapt to new situations. And not only did he adapt to this off-ball role from the creator, now he does, he's an accurate shooter, with shot variation in terms of movement, shooting, and all these other things as well. So that's the kind of ideal guard that fits next to LeBron, right? Um, when you look at him as a scorer and the different ways that he can go about doing that, what are you seeing as the biggest strengths, particularly the stuff that you think will translate at the next level 
and then where are the areas where he, he might have a little more uh, difficulties? So thankfully, his best strengths are what the Lakers need. He can spot up at the corners and catch and shoot. That's one. Two is pull up, pull up jump shots off the dribble, right? If he's in a 1v1 situation, just break down. He's got an advanced handle. So break down the man a little bit, create some space, pull up on that jumper. He's got that with accuracy too. Uh, in terms of things to work on, it's more about strength and on top of strength, using that physicality to attack the rim that much more. Uh, it would be nice to see him draw contact and get to the free throw line a little bit more and put more pressure on the rim. When you when you talk about a guy, you know, like you know, you, you mentioned, he can go into the corner, hit the corner three. He can do certain very specific things that you know the Lakers could use. When you're looking for a guy at 22, and again, trying to find some because, and we'll we'll get to this, but I think some of the some of the noise around the Lakers moving up, you know, dangling Kyle Kuzma out there to teams that are higher in the draft to be able to move up is to find a ready-made player, somebody like Chris Duarte, who we'll get to. Um, you know, the, the is part of what can get a player on the floor picking, like finding that one or the, that one specific skill. Even something as granular as corner threes or you know pull up jumpers, whatever it might be that your team needs, is that a lot of it is being able to diagnose those little small things that come in a guy's skill set, um, you know, at, at a draft point like twenty two. So, in this case, yes, you are definitely looking for one NBA skill mm -hmm. just to get them on the floor. The hard part is finding something that will keep them on the floor. So in Jared Butler's case, right, he's got a 6'4 wingspan. He's probably considered a small guard. So what's he going to do defensively to stay on the floor? And one of the things I looked at through the game tape was he's got this 1.3% block rate. He just has this really unique ability to rotate out to shooters, out to the three-point arc, and actually block the shot, not just contest it. So he doesn't really have a lot of load time. He just contests those shots really well, and I think – well, in a team context situation where rotating properly and timely and contesting shots is so important, that's what's going to keep him on the floor. And then you've got the shooting on the other end of the floor. So he'd be a great pick. He's viewed by a lot of people when you look at scouting reports as, you know, to throw out the cliches, a winner just because yeah. of what he's done at Baylor. He won a championship, a state championship, I believe, in high school as well. How much do you think that stuff matters in terms of – not translating over in skills, but just like in, in mentality. Like, do you, in, in the time you've spent scouting these type of guys, have you seen any type of connection in terms of being able to win in these big games in college and, and what ends up happening in the NBA? I think it matters because it's a reflection of their leadership skills, especially mm -hmm. in his case. And it tells you that, hey, this team gets along, they have chemistry, and they can, they're a cohesive unit. And that's that element is that much more important, especially for a championship team. So, yes, it does matter. But in the long run, if I'm looking at a draft prospect and they just have those unique skills and maybe we could bring them into that winning environment altogether, I'll just consider that because I need those skill sets on the floor. How, uh, how much upside is there with him? Because that's the other angle of here is like, you know, can you get somebody? I mean, ideally, you get somebody who can contribute right away and still has you know, the opportunity to become even better, that person's probably not available at 22. But how much upside does Butler have? So one of my favorite things about Butler is he has 
three specific skills for the guard position, which we know he's a great shooter in multiple facets. What we don't really, what we haven't really talked about much is he has a really advanced handle. He can break down his guy in a one v one situation and run a pick and roll situation. And then to expand on that, he's flashed the ability to run pick and roll and hit quarters and other shooters along with the roll man out of that specific play type. So when you're expanding, when you're refining the skill sets within that particular play role, those are the skill sets you're looking for out of any point guard. And just to uh, round everything off, he has extended range. It's not just right at the three-point line. You can shoot two, three, five feet behind it, and he's comfortable with that shot as well. I am all here for people to shoot at the logo. I, I, I really <laughs> believe that. It's, it has become one of my favorite things. There are people who really don't like, I guess, mo the modern NBA, and I've seen you know the trashing of officials, trashing of this. They don't play enough defense. They don't let it. More things that encourage guys from for pulling up at, at logos is I'm yeah. here for that. So if I can get that with Butler, let's do it. I mean, if you just want to have a guy just get defended out to the logo and just play four four v four within a half court set, it's that much more spacing for the Lakers, right? I mean, why not? Yeah, it's it's like playing basketball with a goalie, kind of. You, know, you yeah, just I mean, have one guy on either end of the court, just hang back. It's as close as we're going to get to rock and jock basketball, and I, <laughs> I am a huge fan of that. Um, all right, so like this is this is a great way to start because you know in Butler we've talked about um, you know the shooting ability, the the ability to score. Uh, you know, even, you know, whether as a, a shooter in the half court, whether as a guy who can create a little bit for himself and for others in, in the way that you're talking, Mike. Um, and I, I want to use that as an opportunity to kind of, before we even get into some of the other prospects that we want to talk about that have been linked to the Lakers, to kind of bring it back a little bit and look 30,000 feet in the air and see what are the needs the Lakers have and how can guys like Butler or someone else fill them how many needs could they fill with one draft pick? Uh, we'll do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models out there, it's impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. And why would you spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership anyway, dummy, when you can get it for far less at rockauto.com? Mike, are, are you in the... Uh, you in the field at all? Uh, looking for a Honda Odyssey? Does, does that strike your fancy? What about I just the Honda this. Odyssey fuel pump? Just the just the fuel pump. I generally love pump. vans. No okay, yeah. all right. Okay, so you like vans, and we've decided you are a collector of fuel pumps just for funsies. A Honda Odyssey fuel pump from a chain store, three hundred fifty-three bucks. You know, as an aficionado of fuel pumps, that's way too expensive. But at rockauto.com, you can get it for 216 bucks. Rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving auto park customers online for 20 years. Everything you need, few easy clicks delivered right to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Okay, so Mike, when we were, you know, we're doing all this uh, draft stuff for the network, and one of the questions that we were asked was, what are the, the three biggest needs for the Lakers going into the draft? Uh, you know, what, what, and you know, what are the things that they can try to solve? I chose three things. I said shooting, 
Um, I wanted to say shooting, outside shooting, and three-point shooting, and but they, they said, no, just shooting. Um, so shooting, shot creation, meaning for a, a player for himself or perhaps for others. And then I thought the third thing that maybe you'd put on this list is a, you know, a, a, a vertical threat at center. Somebody can go up and catch lobs and, and get back some of those easy points the Lakers didn't get last year that they frankly missed more than the defense of JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard were those easy buckets, I think. Um, first of all, would you agree broadly with, with that wish list for the Lakers uh, you know, through the draft? I have the exact same list in terms of priority. And he so, is much I mean, smarter than I am, Andy. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, vertical threats, especially, I think was sorely missed last year. That added dimension offensively really helps. But shooting overall, so spacing isn't just a a floor situation. It's also a vertical situation. Just drawing a defender into the paint a specific way really helps, especially for LeBron. It's super matrixy. Um, so with that in mind, you know, Butler is a guy who at least ticks a couple of those boxes, realistically speaking. How how likely is it that the Lakers can fill some of those needs? Is it one thing on that list? Could you do two? Could you try to get all three or some other things that might be four or five? How many needs realistically can you fill with a draft pick at 22? So at 22, you can really fill one unique skill. You're looking for a 1v1 guy, a shooter or a lob threat. It's too hard to get combinations of all three, especially at that low of a pick. But if you have multiple picks, now we can address needs in multiple ways and guys can actually get some minutes in the regular season because the needs are are so important for this particular uh, particular team. I, was just, I think we're both about to ask about about Duarte in that in mm -hmm. that way because you know when you talk about a guy who can come up and step up on the floor, he's seen widely as you know, I guess maybe uh, highest floor, most ready-to-go prospect out there. And the reports are that, that he's moving up in the draft, and there are even some reports that the Lakers are also trying to move up so they can go get him. How correct do you think those assessments are of his uh, readiness? And how far up do you think the Lakers would have to go to get him? So in terms of readiness, I think he's among the most prepared. He came from a junior college and really showed improvement, not only from junior college, but all the way into Oregon. And that showed with the shooting efficiency altogether. Uh, what I liked, especially last year out of Chris Duarte is he had more on ball repetition. So he's not just seen as this catch and shoot guy. He's running pick and roll. And whether he decides to kick to a corner shooter or pull up for a mid range jumper, We've seen that ability, and he looks comfortable in that role. So I think in Chris Duarte's case, uh, just even me just scrolling through Twitter, I'm surprised that he's looked as highly as maybe 15. That mid-first round pick is really going to matter. It's mm -hmm. an edge lottery case because I think he's seen through that lens of, hey, we can probably get this guy on a rookie contract, and we expect him to produce at a mid-level wing level wing mid-level, wing, productive level. Mm -hmm. Say that three times <laughs> fast. <laughs> so when when teams are looking at it through that specific lens, then, yeah, absolutely, in the mid-first round, all the way to the late-first round, playoff teams especially, they're going to look for that rotation guy at an important position. So so I imagine that if he went up to the, the mid-teens, it, it would matter a lot who took him. Like Oklahoma City, for example, doesn't seem like a logical destination for him. 
But if there's, you know, the team that was basically like an eight seed or a play-in team in the lottery that sees themselves progressing towards the playoffs and progressing more towards like a stable competitive situation, he would make more sense there if they, if you had like the 18th pick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's hard just to get the kind of depth that you would trust to play in a playoff setting. And even if he distills 10 minutes a game, even five minutes in a playoff setting, that's important rest for the critical guys that are going to close out games altogether. So that's where Chris Stewart, they can really excel. So for the logic for the Lakers moving up, you know, is, is that they only have that taxpayer mid-level exception. And if you're not sacrificing something significant for you next year or something that you think can be replaced, uh, you know, on the open market with a, with a veteran's minimum contract or whatever it is, it's essentially like signing somebody who could be another six or seven million dollar player if you think he's that good and that ready to go today. That's the logic. Uh, absolutely, his particular position, just wing positions in general in the NBA, as a rotation level guy, those guys usually go for 12, 15, 18 million dollars uh, for per contract. It's just too hard to reach with a mid level exception. So if you could pull that kind of type of player in the draft, by all means, it's a it's a good idea. Right, and for people who haven't seen it, Andy and I did a, a video on our on the Lockdown Lakers YouTube channel um, about available wings, and holy hell, is it a thin group in, in terms you, of guys yeah, that the Lakers could actually pay for? Yeah, right. You get down to like the James Ennis's, uh, you know, uh, Wayne Ellington, Tony Snell's of the world, real fast. So the idea that Duarte could be useful and even better and like teams would move up in that case makes a lot of sense. Who else could like, let's say the Lakers decide they really want to move up and can want to find somebody impactful. Who else could help them? Like in that, you know, let's say they bumped up into, you know, 12 to, to, to 15 or something like that. Are there other names that if the Lakers move up that fans should be looking for? So the player I like a lot that has been projected all the way down to the late first round is Jaden Springer. He's, yeah, we guy we profiled. We yeah, yeah he's, he's great. He's really young. Yeah, he's still 18. But what I like about him is he's such a hard-nosed point-of-attack defender. He can fight through screens over the top and go under. And I think it speaks to his NBA readiness when he's a physical player on both ends of the floor. He will use his chest and body up guys defensively. And if he gets ran off the three-point line on offense, he has no problem just using an advanced move, getting into the paint, using even some post position, and just taking a small turnaround jumper in the paint. And it's a comfortable shot for him. So I'm a big fan of Jaden Springer altogether. So he quite, he's he, a guy you think could get on the floor. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Even at his age, just to steal some minutes, just because his defensive ability is so high, that's his first thing. And then the shooting and aggression is there as well. So he satisfies on that list that we were talking about before, that ability of shot creation. Um, how well do you think his his three-point percentage, because I think he was up around 40%, if I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he was in that range as a freshman at Tennessee. That How, how well do you think that translates to the NBA? Because that's a tough one sometimes to project. So I think he's, well, from my memory, he's shooting... He shot 43.5% behind the arc, but it was just under two attempts a game. Right. That's not exactly the kind of volume that draws a ton of gravity, which is understandable. But in his case, even though he doesn't draw the, the gravity, he can still attack the defense off the dribble, and he's such a physical, imposing threat. 
Um, what some people may not look at is free throw rate and his free throw rate is 44%. And that's tremendously good, especially for a guard, especially for a small guard. And it reflects his physicality on that end of the floor as well. Does he tend to draw fouls more attacking the paint or being able to bait uh, fouls through shots, both? Like, how does he go about getting to the line so often? He draws he draws contact in the paint. He seeks out that physicality, and then after a couple dribbles and a advanced move, he'll use a pro hop, and he'll jump into chests of big guys if he has to and try to finish above them. Uh, from memory, I think his finishing rate at the rim is 65%, which is really good. Now, you don't expect that of an 18-year-old, but – that's the kind of indicator that I looked for when I was watching Town Horn Tucker. Okay. And we've so seen he, some incredible finishes out of him. It, it seems like he's pretty fearless. Because yes. that, that's something like I remember when when Brandon Ingram was a rookie, and you know, his rookie season required a lot of patience. But one of the things that stood out to me that really impressed me about him was how often he would look to draw contact and look to take on those physicality matches, even though he typically lost. Like he would actually end up on the losing end of him, but he kept doing it anyway, and he kept attacking. I was like, "All right, this this speaks so well to where he's eventually going to be." Yeah, I think it says a lot about a player in terms of that NBA readiness. When even if their frames are not fully filled out, just play with contact, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Use your chest defensively. Try to box out. Try to rebound. Just get in the paint, and. That will translate not only into the regular season, but into the playoffs where it's just that much more amplified to do to work on those details. So this is always fascinating to me. I you know, the description that you have is awesome. Uh, we we you know, when we spoke to um, Eric Kane, who covered him at Tennessee as the host of Locked on Balls, gave a great scouting report that highlighted a lot of the same things that you're talking about there. He's only 18. Why is he projected perhaps to go as late as 22 or even beyond? I think it's because when we look at NBA guards, we want to see that 30-foot range or we want to see the twitch and the burst when they're attacking the rim. He's a guard that uses strength. When we look at Talon Horn Tucker, he fell into the mid-second, and how does he get to the rim, right? He mm-hmm. uses his strength, he has a he has some shape to him, and then he just extends out for the layup. And that was a guy that I had ranked as a mid to late first round selection that year. So when I'm looking at Janet Springer and I think of those kind of similarities, that's what I'm looking at as well. So uh, you were willing, you were willing to look past the uh, chunkiness issues of Dalen Horton Tucker and see the 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 butterfly within. I mean, the cont- well, Iowa State was a really fun year to watch in for his specific season. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton basically played the Lonzo role for them as a low usage guard who was doing all the playmaking. But I noticed that Horton Tucker was getting a lot of end of clock situations, trying to break the break guys down one V one. And they were using spacing lineups instead of really crowded college lineups like usual. So yeah, I mean, he was, he was a great pick overall. Just a fat caterpillar, but he eventually turned into a <laughs> lovely butterfly. I, I've seen yeah, it very, by, by like the sixth day, the very hungry caterpillar has eaten all kinds of shit and he is really <laughs> big and chunky and he needs to turn into a butterfly. And that's what THT did. Um, and kudos to you for not being. You just put him on more fruit. That's right. <laughs> like, you know, if all you're doing is just eating through loads of fruit and vegetables, just straight through, like not even eating the whole thing, no. you can eventually get yourself on the right diet. You know, like if if you put them on like a Mediterranean, you know, that sort of it's thing. all good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so we had a few more names we want to throw at you. We kind of. 
I want to go and, and, and rapid fire with some of the other names that you're interested in that, that, uh, that other people are interested in. Um, and also, too, as much as we've heard reports the Lakers might try to trade up, we've also seen reports that they might try to trade down. So you, Mike Garcia, seer of THT, we'd love to hear some of the names that you would love to see the Lakers get were they to sneak into the second round. We'll do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. This week is always tons of sports action on the go. Get all the latest odds, news, info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, UFC, MMA. The NBA draft is today. And if you want to bet on the Lakers selection, you can start with Jaden Springer, who last I checked is at 22 and a half for the over under in terms of his selection. Chris Duarte over under 17 and a half. Cam Thomas, who we've previewed in the past, 23 and a half. So you can have a little bit of fun while waiting for the Lakers to eventually make their selection and maybe earn a little scratch along the way. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop, your mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game. Head to the website, use your mobile device, sign up today, receive your 50%. Welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Again, it's lakersdraft.substack.com to go read Mike's work on Substack. Most of the players, Mike, that that are uh, tied to the Lakers through mock drafts turn out to be guards. Um, I guess Duarte as a wing, but where are the bigs? Um, were they to the Lakers could use you know, a, a stretch four or somebody who can fill that role uh, along the wing. It's not like they, like they only need guards. Were they to go bigger? So, so there are a couple, a couple of uh, centers that I've been looking at. Uh, one of them is Jericho Sims out of Texas. He's a clutch client. And one of my favorite things about him is he's 6'9 without shoes. He's got, I think, a 7'3 plus wingspan, but his max vert during the combine was over 44 inches. So when he was playing at the game and getting a lot of uh, lob attempts, you can see his eye level to the rim altogether. So he's a powerful finisher. And then on the flip side of things, he's a switchable five in that he's mobile enough to keep track of guards and wings, at least at the collegiate level. And when he gets put on that island, he'll defend them all the way to the cup and do pretty well. So you have that, uh, you have the lob threat and you have that perimeter defensive ability we just have to keep him out of foul trouble. And then outside of that, I mean, he'd be a great guy. Is he 22 worthy? Yes. Well, I have him more as an early to mid second round, but only because the depth of this draft between 22 to say 35, it's all relatively the same tier of talent. So it wouldn't be surprising to see him get ranked that highly or or certainly later into the mid second. So it's not a Ronaldo Balkman situation where if they take him to 22, you'd be like, wait, what? I don't even know who that is. Oh, it's been a while since I've heard that name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, a lot of for a lot of people. But like, how before we move on to a couple other guys, I want to throw some names at you. How common is that? Like, we make such a big deal out of, oh, this guy was projected to go 24, and you took him at you know 17, and like, oh my god, it's a reach. They could when you start to get past you know 15, when you get to you know say 20 to 35. Practically speaking, in a typical draft, how much difference is there really between those players? There really isn't that much difference. So I think teams are looking for specific things that either fulfill their team needs in terms of skills or positional need, or in some cases, like 
hey, this guy is has a really great attitude. He's a proven leader. He's won a national championship. This is the kind of guy we also want in our locker room. So I think those are the details that teams are looking for in that specific range. Uh, what do you think about Trey Murphy the third? He's a guy who a lot of Laker fans are excited about. So Trey Murphy is 21 years old. He's a little bit of a late bloomer. I think he had a recent growth spurt. He's still kind of relatively skinny with the frame, but you know, he's what about six eight, six nine, seven one wingspan. He was a 50, 40, 90 stat year in terms of shooting. He's just great in catch and shoot. He attacks closeouts and he tries to finish with two hands. It's great. I think he's more of a long-term project because his frame needs to fill out, but there's a lot of promise there defensively because when he gets put on that island against wings and guards, he's able to keep up laterally all along the drive and not get beat. He just stays in front of him, which is really great. I just wish he was be a, uh, a bit more physical when he uh, does things defensively. Okay, with somebody like Murphy, because Brian and I both feel pretty strongly, and you can feel free to disagree if you want, that the Lakers, all things being equal, need to, if they use this first-round pick, it has to be on somebody who is rotation-ready or at least potentially rotation-ready 10 to 15 minutes a night. Like They don't necessarily have the luxury of being able to have a roster spot for somebody that they know. We're floor people, Mike, not ceiling people. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, you give me a guy with a good ceiling and a good floor, great. But in terms of where you can realistically use this pick, is he somebody that you think would be worth going against that school of thought for? Like, is, is his upside high enough that you'd be willing to ignore the idea that you could be burning a roster spot this year? The upside is worth it. There's a lot of promise. Uh, his earlier game tape with Rice actually, with Rice University showed more offensive promise, uh, pull-up shooting off the dribble, taking guys off, uh, off the dribble 1v1. So I don't know if that's the kind of thing he's going to be doing his first season, but in terms of his perimeter shooting, spotting up in the corners, providing that spacing, and drawing the gravity altogether, he can absolutely do that year one. Wow. Who, who are some other guys that you think are upside plays that were you to look at that and be like, you know what, the guys we think are ready to go are gone, um, but these guys have a lot of upside and we think they're worth drafting in that 22 area. What other names are you interested in? So I'm a big fan of Josh Christopher from Arizona State. He's from L.A., and what I like about him is he fulfills the shot creation portion of what the Lakers need in terms of skill set. And the percentages don't necessarily reflect it, but he's able to handle contact at the rim, break guys off the dribble, and he can create his own shot at all three levels. Now, it's not always the most accurate, but he can create that space for himself and get his own shot off. And that's a really rare scale to find at, the, at this level, especially for the pick. What if the Lakers ended up, uh, some reports um, have been putting out there that they would trade that first round pick to get into the second round. They currently don't have any second round picks at all. And they've had a pretty good track record of finding guys that are NBA useful in that second <laughs> round, which is all, well, I mean, it's often a big time right. crap shoot. Um, who are some of the guys that you think would be worth targeting if they ended up in that second round? Who are the fat people? This year's fat guys <laughs> that they can draft. But they, you know. Who's the pleasantly plump caterpillar they ought to be looking at? <laughs> can I flip the switch a little bit and, and just mention BJ Boston has been ranked around here? Huh. Um, I know he had a – I thought tough... you were going to say that THT was just big boned, and he never really was a, a plump caterpillar. 
Or pick somebody who's so freaking skinny like that Bones Highland fellow. Um, I am a the fan, man. <laughs> that guy weighs like 115 pounds. He is the skinniest human being I think I've ever seen. I, look, if he falls to the second round, I would run to the podium myself and draft him. Um, that guy, he doesn't, like you I said. I get arrested, Mike, quite frankly. <laughs> like you said, he's, he's so skinny and yet complete comfort shooting from 25, 30 feet. Even, oh, my you know, guy. Yeah, exactly. And back to that, sold. See what I mean? I ha he's, he's really easy to like. He, he has a great handle. He's so fun to watch. I, how do you not take him? Oh, it's so. a great name. I was just, I, I saw a little bit of the guy. <laughs> I'm not, I'm no expert here. That's why we have you on. I just thought I was like, okay, I, I know why they call him Bones. <laughs> I, I, I got it. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, but like other names are where they to sneak into the second round or trade back or buy their way in. What are some, who are some of the guys you'd love to see them target? So uh, another guy is uh, Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina. Uh, he is a lob target as well, but he was more seen of as a playmaker out of the center spot. So uh, one of the unique things about him is he's able to operate at the elbows and the top of the key and kind of facilitate to a half-court offense within that particular position. And on top of those things, he's a great rebounder. He is a solid rim protector. He's, he has a great motor overall. And he really doesn't need a ton of touches to keep himself proactive and engaged about the game. So I like Dayrod a lot. Uh, so BJ Boston, we mentioned earlier, um, Austin Reeves, six four guard, just plays to his full physicality, relentless at attacking the rim. He has a uh, fifty six percent free throw rate. When I say relentless attacking the rim, I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, good. so one of my favorite things about Austin Reeves is he's twenty three. He was a would. At Wichita State, he was a catch-and-shoot guy, shot over 40% behind the arc the first two years, transferred over to Nebraska, and now he's this lead initiator. He has to create all the offense, and he got comfortable with that whole situation altogether. Um, I, I just have a couple more questions uh, for you, Mike, before we let you go. The, the first is when you look at the, the draft class from top to bottom, how much talent do you think there is comparatively to other classes? Because we, we tend to get pretty myopic about this stuff and grade the, the quality of a class based on just the superstar guys who've been earmarked that way. But, you know, the class is the class. Yeah, I think this is more along the lines of an average class where there's one standout guy for me at, in Cape Cunningham and two or three guys after him may get there. But once you get to around, say, 20 to 35, it's we mentioned earlier, it's the same general stack of talent. And there mm -hmm. might be a handful of guys beyond that 35th pick that may stick it out in the NBA or even go out undrafted and still make it in the league. But I don't find, or I haven't been able to find anything uniquely special about guys slipping down to say 25. Oh, he's can't miss. I need to get this guy. But in this case, uh, given the track record of the Lakers and their scouting scouting team, they should be able to find Okay. At least two or three guys. Okay, that you just led me to the other question that I have. I, Brian and I have spent a lot of time recently talking about the Lakers' success drafting in the 20s, in the case of Josh Hart, 30, sometimes in the second round. And they, they've been very good at it, and we've offered a lot of different theories on why. You know, From our perspective, I'm curious what you think has really stood out in terms of the Lakers' approach that, that would explain that track record of success. So I think we mentioned earlier about how they look for that one NBA skill that looks directly translatable. And we also mentioned about what's the other thing that keeps them on the floor. Uh, we, You had mentioned Josh Hart, and Josh Hart had the intangibles. He was on a championship team. He was a proven shooter. 
he um, attacked the paint aggressively and he was a solid defender. Well, we mentioned those similar kinds of qualities that say Jaden Springer, who might just slip down, mm-hmm. or Jared Butler who might just slip down. So we're the Lakers are in a fortunate spot where it's a good draft class, and those kind of guys are going to be available at the pick. It's just a matter of who is it going to be, and I have full faith in that scouting staff altogether. All right, we'll wrap with this one for you, um, Mike. Two two part question here. What do you think will happen with the Lakers Thursday night? What would you want to happen? What do you, what is your ideal result? And then you know, obviously, what do you think ultimately they'll do? So what I think will happen is I think they will try to trade up and get Chris Duarte. He's just a solid guy. They need a rotation guy. We're in a championship situation. That's absolutely relevant in case to what I want to happen or what I wish to happen. uh, I want Jaden Springer to be a Laker. Uh, As I mentioned, he plays both ends of the floor. He's aggressive at both ends. He's physical. He's physical and he's strong enough to actually handle it. So I think that would be great for the short term, but uh, more importantly, also the second year and third year in terms of development. That's how you know he's a real Laker fan, by the way, when he started talking we. Like, this is what we yeah. should be doing. <laughs> this, this is how you know Mike Garcia is a real one. I've been zoned in all week. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, All right, Mike Garcia, you find him at Canyon Driver, and you can read all of his stuff and really should read all of his stuff at his Substack. It's lakersdraft.substack.com. We'll tweet that out as well uh, as we promote the the show. This is awesome, awesome, awesome stuff as people get ready for the draft. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks again. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.